welcome to CTSNet Beat. This is the Christmas edition. We've got so much for you today. We've got Outcomes of Patient with the Aortic Dissection in Denmark. Interesting showing that uh, if you fix the patients, they actually do much better in the long term. Robotic assisted versus stenotomy CABG cost analysis. Amazingly, robotic CABG is cheaper. Um, we do pacemaker insertion for the sutureless AVRs, how to get your pacemaker rate, rate down. And then we've got three amazing videos, a robotic pericardiectomy, I thought I'd never see one of those. Another robotic resection, this time of an aberrant subclavian going underneath the esophagus. And a really great interview with the lovely Teresa Kieser. So much going on and an amazing update from Diego who flew from Shanghai to Budapest to do something absolutely crazy. So uh, tune in to the full edition of The Beat. Uh, and uh, But that was this week's uh, What's Going On in on CTSnet from me, Joel Dunn. Thank you very much for joining me again in uh, the CTSNet Beat podcast. Uh, my name is Joel Dunning, bringing this podcast to you every single week uh, until I collapse, really. I just got off the airplane from uh, from Cleveland Clinic, Ohio. Uh, I had such a great week there. Thank you so much to Faisal Bakin, who invited us there, uh, Nick Smadira, Ed Soltez, Lars Svensson, of course, uh, Eric Roselli. Uh, the place is incredible. It's just a, a full of superstars, 19 surgeons, 5,400 operations per year, 25 going on a day. Um, really, really great stuff going on there. So literally, it is just a mecca. You know, if you ever wanted to go and see something incredible, just go to uh, the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, go and have a week there. Go and have two weeks there. You'll see heart transplants. You'll see a dissection per day really is insane. And we went there to record a world's best series. So we're going to bring you a whole load of videos about what we saw probably in the spring, uh, which should be really great fun. But back to the CTS Net Beat this week. What have we got for you today? Well, we have got three fantastic, banging, brilliant articles. Uh, the first one uh, is all about the characteristic and outcomes of patients with acute aortic dissection. This is from a nationwide registry. Uh, and the registry is a Danish registry. Niels Andersen uh, is the senior author. Maria Pedersen was the first author, so did all the work. Um, and this is published this month uh, in the Annals of Thoracic Surgery from Aalborg University. How big is their database? Well, their database was 1,157 patients having type A or type B dissections. Um, and 32% um, of those were type B dissections, median age uh, 66. Um, and the follow-up was 10 years. So it's really, really good follow-up. So really interesting to see what happens to them. So of the type A dissections, 74% were managed surgically. Um, quite a high rate, 22, um, so 25% non-surgically were type A dissection. And then the type B, as you might expect, um, only 22% had something, which was either surgery or endovascular treatment. So the in-hospital mortality for a type A dissection was 27%, but it was 18% for surgery, but 50% if you did nothing. Presumably, they, the ones that didn't have surgery were very unwell, had had strokes, uh, abdominal ischemia, something like that. Just going back to my Cleveland Clinic experience, you would not believe last year, the aortic dissection, I think they did over 100 Mortality rate, 
insane. Uh, we need to go back and find out why it was. But this database was 18%, which I think reflects, you know, quite a lot. Certainly in the UK, uh, that's about the mortality rate of a type A dissection. Uh, so if you don't operate, 52% death rate. And then for the type Bs, 16% uh, had an in-hospital mortality uh, versus 13% with conservative treatment. But the important thing is what happened in the long term to these people. Uh, so the three-year survival um, was actually much better for the type A's and the type B's, 88 versus 78%. Maybe doing something is actually a good idea for your long-term survival, 88 versus 78% 78 survival. Uh, and uh, so, so that was the message uh, of this paper to me, that actually certainly type A's do something and if you do something they have a great 88% uh, three-year survival they do really really well and then the type B's follow them up a lot because you know 25% of those are not going to survive over the next three years uh, and maybe the reason we don't intervene more on the type B's is actually just they're technically so difficult uh, you know big huge thrack abdominal repairs just too big operatively uh, but uh, the endovascular treatments you know might come up to the fore with these people patients going forward let's hope that's the case but really good paper really interesting and we've got it in our Jan section this week second paper we got for you again was another surprising paper um, and it's called robotic assisted versus traditional full stenotomy CABG uh, a propensity match study um, this is from uh, the Lackanau Heart Institute in Philadelphia USA uh, Patricia Pelika is the senior author and Maninda Singh did all the work um, and this is in the journal of the American Journal of Cardiology, so pretty high impact factor paper. Uh, so they looked at their 1,173 patients that they'd done with CABG since 2018 till 2021, uh, and they pulled out uh, 267 robotic CABGs and propensity matched them to a stenotomy group. Uh, and what they were looking at was cost analysis because you know you would just bet your bottom dollar that robotics is going to be more expensive than non-robotic wouldn't you well you would be wrong uh, so they looked at the total cost for the 267 patients remember the same in each group because they've matched them uh, the the robotic group cost 9.5 million less than the stenotomy group uh, which is pretty incredible really so so um Oh, sorry, I got that wrong. Um, so it's 9.5 million for the conventional group, 5 million for the robotic group, 4.5 million less, uh, which is $16,000 less per patient if you did it robotically. So where is this coming from? So direct cost, 2.2 million cheaper, indirect 1.8. So indirect being staying longer in hospital because they stayed two days longer in hospital. And if you add the robot, the price of buying a robot over those three years into it, you're still 3.3 million saving uh, over the course of those three years. And it was length of stay and complications uh, which sorted it. So really surprising. Now, I did have a look at the paper in a bit more detail. Um, the robotic-assisted group was pretty different. Um, saphenous vein graph use was 95% in the stenotomy group and 5% in the robotic group. Multiple arterial graphs was 90% of the robotic group and 40% of the uh, of the standard group. Stents were very different uh, in the robotic group. Obviously, there was no on-pump virtually in the robotic group and 50% of the stenotomy group. So they're quite different. Um, also, emergency procedures, you know, didn't happen robotically. 
And so they are very different groups, but actually this is a pretty strong paper. If you're trying to argue for having a go at robotic or minimally invasive CABG, this is a cost analysis saying it's cheaper, not more expensive, and really well done. So congratulations to that group, uh, really impressive, quite unique, I've not seen somewhere saying it's a lot cheaper for CABG. So you know, really not done much around the world. Uh, robotic CABG, so well done. And the third paper that we've chosen for you this week is uh, an interesting paper uh, from Ancona in Italy by Marco Di Usanio uh, and first author Francesca Pilari. Uh, and this is a very large database uh, on, on sutureless AVRs. Um, so either sutureless or rapid deployment. What does that mean? Well, um, the sutureless uh, AVR is the Percival uh, and a rapid deployment valve is the Intuity by Edwards. So basically two valves, uh, but they've got a, a database called the CERD AVR uh, database. It's really, really big. It's 4,166 patients. It's been going since 2008 and they use this really big database to look at the incidence of pacemakers because obviously uh, you want this operation to be better than a TAVI because that's the point of it. Going sutureless, you know, that's the most minimally invasive thing we can do um, and TAVI has a real problem with pacemakers. So they looked at the incidence of pacemakers in this group um, and um, and they actually broke it into early and late groups. Early on, uh, the pacemaker rate was 10%, but it did drop down to 6% uh, in the later group, which is sort of since 2017, uh, which is really interesting. Um, the, uh, the current rates now are all the way down to 5% uh, for sutureless uh, AVRs as, as a whole. And the other interesting thing is that the rate of full or mini stenotomy has gone down a lot and everybody's uh, favouring anterior mini thoracotomy now for doing a sutureless AVR. Um, they looked at why the rate has gone down and their main finding is that they think people are oversizing a bit less so they're going for smaller sizes. Also there were two updates in the technology so um, a Percival Plus was uh, brought onto the market in 2018 and also some different sizes uh, were brought uh, in the in the Intuity valve. So there's been some sizing changes. Uh, this paper basically says don't oversize uh, and we're down to 5% for a sutureless AVR. So nice job. Um, obviously a lot of us are considering these as alternatives to TAVR in our, uh, in our higher risk patients. So it's a really good um, a good job there and, and you've got that benchmark of only a 5% pacemaker rate to tell your patients uh, as justification for having a min mini anterior thoracotomy and a sutureless valve. So that was our three great papers we've got on the website for you today. I'll just hand you over to the uh, CTSNet office that'll tell you what else is on our website this week for you to look at. CTSNet's ninth annual resident video competition is now open for submissions. Residents and medical students of all CT surgical specialties are eligible to submit surgical videos for a chance to win prominent publication on CTSNet and an exclusive interview with the judges. The deadline to submit is December 29, 2023. To learn more, head to the resident video competition page on ctsnet.org.
we've got three really interesting videos for you this week. The first one is something I never really expected to see. I've done a few pericardiectomies in my time and boy they're a pain in the ass so I didn't think anybody would be wanting to do these minimally invasively but sure enough uh, we have got a fantastic and very honest uh, robotic pericardiectomy uh, video for constricted pericarditis by uh, Dr. Jet and Emily Shi from Baylor Scott and White Heart Hospital in the USA. Um, it's really honest. Why do I say honest? Well, it's honest because they, they've done two cases. One was calcified, one wasn't. But the really interesting thing is that uh, the, the first one, uh, they, it was really difficult, really calcified. They started uh, on the right because they had some, there was a lot of calcium there and then moved to the left. They really advocate doing from pulmonary vein to pulmonary vein. They show doing a, a nice little job of undermining the phrenic and lifting it off as a pedicle and then cutting all the way to the pulmonary vein. Uh, but interestingly, in the first case they did, they very honestly said the patient was initially good but deteriorated. Uh, they did a scan and there was a big bank of calcified um, pericardium very right in the middle under the stenotomy. So they'd done the right, they'd done the left. They didn't quite do a much enough uh, at the front. So they did a stenotomy, fixed that, the patient was fine. But then learning from that, they did a second case, did a much more comprehensive job uh, they started on the left first and then did the right. They got all the way across to the midline, did a, a really extremely comprehensive uh, job. And this patient went home day two. Fantastic, really, really impressive. Um, they used, uh, I think it was an SI that they were using. They used the robotic sucker. They used a prograft. They used a vessel sealer. Um, the first case took 272 minutes. The third case, the second case, 314 minutes. So these are long cases, but minimally invasively, uh, sort of really meticulous, nice and slow, off pump, of course. Um, and, uh, and so really good demonstration of what you could do. So maybe you're thinking of doing a pericardiectomy robotically. It's, it does look actually, you know, not too bad. The other really cool thing they did is they used a lot of indesigning green. So they're at all in doubt, uh, is that the left or right atrium or is that just some calcified pericardium? Did some ICG, they could tell. So I thought that was really clever. So actually you've got that sort of interoperative angiography kind of concept that you could use with a robot, which actually you usually can't do by stenotomy. So great job, I thought that was really, really nice. Well done to the authors there, fantastic. Uh, our second video is another SI case. So there's still some SIs around. They're going out of uh, production, uh, out servicing in 2024. So we'll have to move on from them, but uh, great job anyway. And this was from uh, Luke Meredith and Olubenga Okusanaya uh, from Thomas Jefferson, University Hospital in the USA. And this one was robotic resection of an aberrant right subclavian artery for dysphagia lucora. So the, the right subclavian was going under uh, the esophagus causing dysphagia. Really nice image of that. Um, so they started off with an open procedure, first of all, uh, where they did a right subclavian to right carotid um, uh, graft so that they could then disconnect the right subclavian. So they did that uh, and then the patient had the second operation just four days later, healed really nice and quickly. Obviously did that with a neck incision. Um, and then they used an SI, uh, they dissected beautifully, cut the azygous, demonstrated the whole course of the subclavian artery very nicely, right to under the, um, the esophagus, and then using a, a standard stapler, 
Uh, it was actually a robotic stapler. They, they disconnected in two places uh, the subclavian artery. Uh, they then covered the stump uh, with some thymus because they obviously did not want an arteriosophageal fistula. That would not go well if you've ever seen one of them. That's a way to vomit some blood a long distance. Uh, so a good idea for doing that. And, uh, and they told us that the patient's dysphagia instantly fixed, literally day one. So really nice job. If you want to see what a, a right subclavian uh, artery looks like coming under the esophagus, just have a look at this great video. It's really, really nice. And our third uh, video uh, was a real favourite of mine. Uh, we bumped into Teresa Kieser uh, at EAX. Uh, she's a wonderful revascularization lover from Canada. And uh, she actually had a lovely conversation with Reina Montez, our cardiac editor from Colombia. And, uh, and it was a real joy to hear her talk all about her experience of going to Kenya. Um, she's gone over there uh, to the Kibos International Health Foundation where she went to go and try and uh, help uh, with setting up uh, a programme of heart surgery there. Um, she highlights some of the problems, obviously just very poor infrastructure. There is literally no cath lab, so all they've got is valve patients at the moment, only with an echo, no CT scans, but they've got lots and lots of them. If you want to have an angiogram, you've got to fly to India from Kenya, literally no cath labs. So she's talking all about how she'd love to set up some heart surgery there. Um, they're going to go back and they're going to set up some heart surgery and Really, she was actually calling out for some help. So if you're interested in helping Teresa Kieser, uh, do get in touch if you've got some, some hardware, some charity donations, or just want to go in person, uh, fund a flight and go over there, make a difference. Because, you know, if you turn up and do an operation, if you weren't there, that patient would not get their operation. So, you know, literally every operation is life-saving. So, so give her a buzz, have a look at that. And, uh, and it's great. And I hope we get an update from Teresa Kieser uh, from when she goes back next time. So those were our videos for this week. There's a few upcoming events. Uh, EX have got a really nice, uh, a nice virtual course called How to Become a Resident in Cardiothoracic Surgery for the junior doctors out there. So just go to the EX website and you can log on there. I think that'll be really, really good and online and I'm sure it'll be recorded as well if you don't have time to, to log into it. It's on January the 18th, so you've got a little bit of a while to log into that. So that'd be great. And EX also have a case corner. Uh, they've, this is on CABG on January the 18th, same day uh, when simple cases go wrong. That sounds like that should be quite interesting as well. So it's just an hour, so maybe log in for that, see how that goes. And obviously we cannot uh, forget the 60th STS annual meeting is coming up. 27th to 29th of, uh, of January. Uh, it's in San Antonio, if you'd like a suntan in January. Uh, we'll be there with the uh, the full CTSnet crew. We're doing about 20 interviews, we hope. Uh, and obviously it's everything that the STS always is in full power. So there'll be wet labs, there'll be the best speakers from around the world. There will be everything. So so, so do log into that. So our last two items on our on our podcast, we always catch up with Diego Gonzalez Rivas, who's travelling the world, uh, promoting thoracic surgery wherever he goes. And this week he flew straight over from Shanghai, where he was teaching his two-week course to 30 students. He got on an overnight flight to Budapest. He got off the plane at 9am and at 10am he was doing a robotic completion pneumonectomy in a patient that previously had a left upper lobe double sleeve and then had chemotherapy and 
then had radiotherapy and then had recurrence. So, wow, uh, that was a big operation. But he's posted some videos on it. Uh, crazy surgery, but uh, and he's not allowed to have a day off, is he? But well done, Diego. Uh, and our honourable mention uh, goes to uh, Lars Svensson. We caught up with him at the Cleveland Clinic. He is the AATS president for the 104th meeting, uh, which will be in Toronto this year in April. And uh, he's just such a great person. Uh, he leads uh, the world's best heart surgery unit. He leads the AATS. Uh, he's done so much in his life to promote uh, the amazing uh, pushing forwards of cardiothoracic surgery worldwide. He's also an extremely accomplished sailor and an amazing photographer. And, you know, me for one, are going to be front and centre for his presidential speech. So well done, Lars Svensson. Looking forward to seeing you uh, in Toronto in April. And that's all we've got time for. Uh, please do tune in for our three uh, December Christmas podcasts and I'll see you next time on the next CTS NetBeat podcast.